This past month, a scandal rocked the academic world when it was discovered that the president of Harvard University had plagiarized over 40, uh, over 40 examples of plagiarism in her various academic writings. It was interesting, one, uh, one article from the New Yorker described the situation like this, instances of missing citations and verbatim copying of other scholars' writing without the use of quotation marks or attribution. In weeks following, more apparent instances of plagiarism piled up. Gay has admitted to making errors such as duplicating other scholars' language without proper attribution but she has denied claiming credit for other people's research and she said she stands by her work. Well, over the course of this, over the course of this scandal, it became apparent that the instances of plagiarism were so overwhelming that this past month she was actually forced to resign from her position. Now, obviously, when plagiarism takes place at the highest levels of academia, that's serious business. I remember even when I was going through seminary at Bethel Seminary, there was a no-tolerance policy for plagiarism. If we were caught without properly citing another person's work or attributing somebody else's work as our own, we could literally be kicked out of school for that. And uh, in our day and age, we knew that not as duplicative language, but as plagiarism or dishonesty or outright deception. Sadly, this is just one of many examples of deception in our present-day culture. We live today in a culture of dishonesty, a culture awash in deception. This past week, for example, I, I was just curious. I thought I would look through some articles from the past few days alone. Just take a look at some of these articles. This is just from the past week alone. I did a Google search on the words lying or lie or lied. And again, this is just, it literally, this was on Thursday and Friday. All right, Joe Biden assails President Trump, Biden assails Trump for trying to turn election loss into a lie. All right, next article, Haley DeSantis trade accusations of lying to voters on Iowa debate stage, right? Accusations of lying back and forth. Next article, this was from New York Post. Here's what people lie most often about and how it ruins mental health. Again, this is, these are all articles from the past few days. Speaking of ruining mental health, Anthony Fauci to Congress, six-foot social distancing guidance likely not based on data. The guy admits this week to Congress they had no scientific data for this. He says, I quote, it just sort of appeared. All right? That would have been nice to know three years ago when they were shutting down school and church and funerals and everything else, right? We see again, Starbucks, it was a lie. Starbucks sued over claims about ethically sourced coffee and tea. We see again, Sotheby's, that was a lie, right? Sotheby's defends itself against duped billionaires' fraud claims. On and on, House Democrat pressures Secretary Austin to resign after lack of transparency and hospital debacle. Lost trust, lost trust. And then we see here, Psychology Today, how lying destroys self-esteem, five new scientific insights. Friends, these were just articles that I found on Thursday and Friday as I was wrapping up my sermon preparation, 
Okay, that was a two-day period. And notice, these were only articles that were factual speaking, just reporting factual truth. These weren't even the opinion articles. If I had added the opinion articles, holy cow, he's lying, she's lying, they're lying, everybody's lying. I mean, our culture is just awash in deception, and we cannot avoid that reality. This deception that we find ourselves surrounded by has led us into this culture where trust has broken down. We live in a society where there's been this breakdown in trust really in all areas, right? Think about it. In politics, in media, in education, in science, even in the church, there's this, this, this general breakdown in trust where people no longer believe what they are told by people in positions of authority, right? Have you noticed, for example, how in recent years there's been this rise in this new term? Not a new term, but it's a newly popularized term, fact-checking, right? Fact-checking. Every time you turn on the news, everybody's talking about fact-checking this or fact-checking that. You read an article, and what do you do? The first thing you do is you go on Google, and you fact-check it yourself, right? My kids go to school, and their teachers tell them something in the classroom, and they're fact-checking what their teachers tell them. I get fact-checked all the time. People will email me during the week, you know, Pastor Jason, you said this in your sermon, but what about this? And they'll fact-check my sermons, right? Fact-checking has become this huge phenomenon in our culture today. In fact, I Google searched that term, fact-checking, yesterday morning. Five billion results. Five billion results to fact-checking. We're a culture of fact-checking. Why? Because nobody trusts anybody anymore. Nobody trusts anybody anymore, and so we have to seek out the truth for ourselves. A number of years ago, the chaplain of the Kansas Senate made national news when he opened one legislative session with this prayer. He said, Omniscient Father, help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing, and the other just the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, we would like to know that too. And if each side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the right halves together. In Jesus' name, amen. I think a lot of us can appreciate that prayer, am I right? Like, who do we trust anymore? Who do we believe anymore? God, give us wisdom to discern what is true. Friends, we need to understand this morning, this culture of deceit and distrust we find ourselves in today, this is a serious matter. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, the apostle Paul tells us that deceit is one of the marks of a society that is under God's judgment. In other words, friends, because of our sin, God gives us over to our sin and allows us to reap the fruit of our rebellion against him. And one of the marks of that is becoming a society characterized by deceit, by deception. Isn't that interesting? We're judged for our deception, but the judgment for our deception is giving us over to even greater levels of deception. People wonder, you know, all the time, Pastor Jason, is God going to judge America? Friends, we are already being judged 
The signs of that are all around us. Read Romans 1, the signs of God's judgment. He gives them over. He gives them over. He gives them over. Everything that God gives them over to as a result of their sin is taking place exponentially in our culture today because we've chosen to turn our backs on God and his truth. And this is why the words of our Lord that we're going to be studying together this morning are so timely and important. Jesus has much to teach us on issues of deception and truth and integrity. We're going to see that this morning as we continue on in our series in the Sermon on the Mount. God shaping us, forming us into Jesus' people, the kind of people he desires us to be. If you've been re- with us recently uh, in our series in the Sermon on the Mount, we picked it back up last week after taking a break during the Christmas season. But again, just to remind you, we're in a section of the Sermon on the Mount right now, verses 21 through, let's see, 48, known as the six antitheses. And in this section, what Jesus is doing is he is contrasting the Jewish religious teachers, the Pharisees and the scribes, their teachings and interpretations of God's law versus God's true intent for the law, the heart intent for the law, what God desires for his people in walking in obedience to him. Not outward conformity to the law, but internal heart transformation where God's law really impacts our heart and is then applied in all areas of our life. This is what it means to be Jesus' people, right? Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law. He didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill the law. And in fulfilling the law, he not only reaffirms all that God has instructed us in the Old Testament, but then he deepens that understanding, applying that law to our hearts, So that we understand that this isn't just about ritual. This isn't just about checking off the to-do list and crossing off the tasks that we need to do to please God. No, it's about allowing God to transform our hearts so that this kind of lifestyle overflows naturally from us. And so we see here in these sixth antitheses how God's law applies specifically to the area of human relationships. And today, one of those areas that Jesus is going to speak to is the issue of lying and truth, and honesty, and integrity. And and to do that, Jesus is going to raise an issue as the topic of our passage this morning that's going to help to teach us some important lessons on these matters. Truth, honesty, integrity for Jesus' people. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. If you have your Bibles, you can open up, follow along there, or on the screens behind me. Jesus is going to teach on the subject of vows and oaths to help us understand God's will for us in the area of integrity. Jesus says again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now here in our passage, friends, Jesus uses the subject of vows and oaths 
to teach some important lessons to us on these issues of truth and integrity for Jesus' people. Now, now just some quick definitions. What is a vow? A vow is a promise. What is an oath? An oath is a vow that invokes God. Okay, so technically speaking, when we talk about vows and oaths, a vow is simply a promise. An oath is a vow or a promise that invokes God or invokes the name of God. Now, historically, and even in our culture today, we tend to use those terms interchangeably. And even in scripture, those terms are often used interchangeably. But generally, we understand that when we talk about a vow or an oath, what we're talking about is the invoking of a solemn promise, right? I vow, I make an oath. There's something different about what we're saying, what we're stating when we claim to make a vow or an oath. We recognize that there's something significant and serious about that. Now, this is going to be, again, the basis for Jesus' teaching this morning on the issues of truth and integrity. And today, we're going to look at two points. I got a two-point sermon for you this morning. I'm not lying. Two points, believe it or not. We're going to look at two points that speak to God's word on the integrity of Jesus' people. And the first point that we need to recognize this morning from Jesus' teaching today is the sin of truth diminished. The sin of truth diminished. Now in verse 33, the the first verse of our passage today, Jesus gives us a summary of the Old Testament's teaching on vows and oaths. Okay, so in verse 33, Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now what Jesus shares there, that is not a particular Bible verse. Okay, what that is, what Jesus quotes there in verse 33 is actually a summation of the Old Testament's teachings on vows and oaths. Okay, so Jesus is pointing people back to the Old Testament law and he's saying, look, you've heard it said by those of old. In other words, this is what the law taught on the subject of vows and oaths. Now, what, what was Jesus summarizing here in this statement? The Old Testament law, friends, actually encouraged people to take vows and oaths and even encouraged people to take vows and oaths swearing in God's name. So, for example, we see passages in the law like Deuteronomy 10.20. Deuteronomy 10.20 says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. Okay, so swearing an oath or taking a vow, a solemn promise in the name of God was something that God wholly endorsed, right? If you're going to make a solemn promise to somebody, you do it in the name of God because by invoking God, you are saying like, I am making this promise under the highest authority there is by which I can make this promise. I'm swearing by the name of God himself. God encouraged this. God endorsed this, okay? The Old Testament law then also discouraged the breaking of vows and oaths, especially those taken in God's name. So we see other passages in the law. For example, Leviticus 19.12, which says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Numbers 30 verse 2. 
The law says if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. We see in Deuteronomy 23, 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. Okay, so again, the Old Testament law, God endorses the taking of vows, taking them in his name, but he also says, look it, when you make a vow in the name of the Lord, you keep that vow. You don't break that vow. That's a solemn promise, a solemn oath. Now here's the problem that Jesus is addressing in our passage today. Remember, these are the sixth antitheses. You've heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus says, what's the problem? Over the years, what had taken place is that the Jewish religious leaders had begun to seriously compromise God's purpose and will for vows and oaths. And they did this in two ways. They compromised God's will for vows and oaths in two ways. Number one, they were notorious for frivolously swearing oaths. Okay, so what had begun to take place in the days of Jesus was the Jewish people were basically swearing oaths for every reason, vowing and swearing over everything, right? I swear this, I swear that, I swear this, right? And, and what they were doing were basically they had turned vows into this frivolous activity where almost anything they did involved invoking a promise, a vow. But the second thing that they had become guilty of was creating a scale of hierarchy for the seriousness of the vows that they took. So they knew from Old Testament law that you shouldn't take the name of the Lord in vain. They knew that God took it very seriously, that when you made a promise or a vow in God's name, that you don't break that promise or vow. So what the Jewish religious leaders did in order to keep the law, right? Because again, religion is all about external performance, right? We got to keep the rules. We got to do the list. We got to follow, you know, follow the do's and don'ts, right? So in order to keep the law and not, not break their vows in God's name, they created this system where you could vow on things lesser than God, so you could make promises based on a vow to something lesser than God. That way, if you didn't keep the promise, you weren't guilty of violating God's holy name. And so they began to vow things to things lesser than God. They would make promises or vows to heaven or promises or vows to earth, or promises or vows to Jerusalem, or promises or vows by their own head, right? I vow to you by my own head, I'll do that, right? I vow to you by heaven that I'm going to follow through with what I told you I would do. And they created this basically scale, this hierarchy of the significance or seriousness of the vows that they were taking so that they wouldn't break vows in the name of God. Those were, those were serious but we can break other vows that are of less importance, of less significance. And, and that way we can still technically honor God's law while in a sense, not in a sense, while actually being disobedient to God's law in other ways. Okay? Basically what had taken place here in both of these compromises is that the religious authorities were betraying truth and diminishing the integrity that God desired from his people. Think about this, friends. The frivolous taking of oaths led to a situation where oaths no longer had any real meaning, 
right? If you're swearing an oath in every situation, swearing an oath for every reason, what does an oath even mean then, right? Like, like my wife says, hey, Jason, can you run over to Arby's after church and get some lunch for us? I swear by, God, by Jerusalem, I'm going to do that, right? If I'm swearing frivolously over every little thing I do, then what does a true vow or oath really mean anymore, Right? But then the other problem with what they had done, especially with this scaling of oaths, is they had created a situation where lying had become justified, right? They were all concerned about keeping one commandment, the third commandment, Exodus 27, which says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, right? We don't want to take the name of the Lord in vain. So what we'll do instead is we'll break another commandment. The ninth commandment, which says, don't bear false witness to your neighbor, right? They were trying to keep one commandment, but in doing that, they ended up by breaking another, by creating this sliding scale of oaths that they thought were less significant. But friends, the Jews should have known better because all of this clearly violated God's intentions for his people. Simple, simple passages that they should have known, like Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 8, 16 through 17, says, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Friends, this was spelled out clearly in the Bible. God said it's okay to take oaths. In fact, he endorsed taking oaths. If you do, take them in my name. And then when you take those oaths, keep those oaths, right? But the Jews, they had begun to swear frivolous oaths. They had begun to create oaths that were of less significance so that they wouldn't be guilty in their mind of breaking God's law. But the reality was in all of this, they were being dishonest. They were being deceptive. They were lying to one another. And they were doing all of this because like we saw last week with the topic of divorce, their hearts were hard. They were sinful, rebellious people. And one of the consequences of their hardened, rebellious hearts is that they were liars. And so they twisted God's law to justify themselves in their lies, in their deception. Now, it's easy for us to point out the errors of the Jews here, right? It's easy to look at this and say, oh man, how could they have done that? How ridiculous. I mean, how silly. But friends, if we're being honest this morning, deception and dishonesty are our issues too, right? We saw it in the examples of those articles I shared earlier, but we could even bring this closer to home this morning. If we started looking into our own lives and our own practices. I mean, how many of us here this morning are guilty of things like white lies, right? Telling a lie so that you don't hurt another person's feelings, right? I don't want to hurt your feelings, but instead I'm willing to break your trust, right? Like, hey, Jason, you know, would you be willing to, you want to come over and hang out and grab a cup of coffee this afternoon? Yeah, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm really busy. I got a lot going on this afternoon when really I just want to watch the Packers game, Right? So again, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to break your trust, but I don't want to hurt you personally, right? What is that? It's still deception. It's a white lie. It's still lying, speaking an untruth, which God says we're not to do. 
How about things like breaking promises? How many times have we told somebody, I'll do something for you. I'm going to do this. I'll be there at this time. I'll, I'll make sure to get it done. And that we fail to keep those promises. How about exaggeration? Man, unfortunately, this is one that gets me a lot. Christmas with my family. My brother and I were talking about our Christmas Eve services. My, my brother Jared. How many people were at your Christmas Eve service, Jason? Oh, we had about 1,000 people. Well, we actually had about 940 some, I think. But, you know, but it's just real easy to exaggerate. And then you realize, wow, I'm being deceptive. Okay? How about omission? Right? Omission is another form of lying. When we don't share the whole truth. Right? It, 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 we, we give a partial truth or we hold something back in order to deceive people. Or cheating or plagiarism, right? Students, when you cheat in school, when you copy off your friend's test who's sitting next to you, that's a form of deception. You're claiming to your teacher that you know more than you really do. You're lying. You're being deceptive. How about cover-ups? Right? When we, when we do something wrong and we try to cover it up, we try to hide it, sometimes literally. I remember years ago, my brother and I, when we were young kids, we were wrestling in my bedroom, right? We were fighting on our bed and wrestling, you know, and I actually put his head through the drywall in my bedroom, in my bedroom, left a huge hole in my drywall there. So what did I do? Well, I had this Mark McGuire poster, and I put my Mark McGuire poster that was hanging here, I moved it over here. And I covered up the hole in my drywall. Well, about 10 years ago, my mom, she's in my bedroom, cleaning up my bedroom, getting rid of all my old stuff, you know, kind of doing some renovation, remodeling work. She takes down the Mark McGuire poster, and guess what she discovers? Hey, Jason, do you know anything about this hole in your wall? Um, <laughs> right? Like from like 20 years ago, and she just discovered it, right? We cover up things. What is that? Again, that's deception. And friends, here's the problem. In a culture where dishonesty runs rampant, dishonesty of all kinds, trust completely breaks down. Why do we have this rise in fact-checking today? Why do we fact-check the fact-checkers? Nobody trusts anybody anymore. Why? Because we're a culture awash in deception. We're all liars. They're lying, she's lying, he's lying. How do I know he's not lying, right? We don't trust anybody anymore. We become a culture awash in deception and trust breaks down. The influential Soviet dissident, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he famously put it this way, speaking of the Soviet Union. He says, we know that they're lying. They know that they are lying. They even know that we know they are lying. We also know that they know we know they are lying too. They, of course, know that we certainly know they know we know they are lying too as well. But they are still lying. In our country, the lie has become not just moral category, but the pillar industry of this country. Now, friends, we used to look at quotes like this and, you know, point out the hypocrisy and audacity of countries like the Soviet Union. But, man, we can apply these very same statements to our own culture today, sadly. We're a culture awash in deception. And again, make no mistake about it, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1.29, a culture characterized by deceit is a culture under God's judgment. 
This leads me to point number two this morning. The standard of truth defined. Jesus goes on in our passage this morning to clarify God's will for his people in matters of truth and integrity. Take a look again at verses 34 and 37. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus goes on here in our passage to clarify God's will here in matters of truth and integrity. And the first thing I want to point out this morning is that, number one, we can read this and we can make a simple mistake. And that mistake is this, thinking that Jesus here is forbidding all kinds of oaths. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not forbidding the taking of all oaths. All right, that's an easy mistake to make if we read this passage out of context from the rest of Scripture. Remember, friends, we already saw God encouraged the taking of oaths. But even more than that, throughout the New Testament, we find that oaths are not only present, they're actually very common throughout the New Testament. We see, for example, that God takes oaths, Acts 2.29, promising an oath to David in regards to the coming Messiah. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20, promising an oath about Jesus being our high priest. We see Jesus himself testifying under oath. Caiaphas, the high priest, puts Jesus under adjournment. That's when an authority puts you under oath, and Jesus, under oath by Caiaphas, responds to Caiaphas's inquiry. So in other words, Jesus recognized that he had been put under oath by the God of heaven, and he answers Caiaphas' testimony, all right? We see Paul, for example, swearing oaths in many occasions throughout his writings, even swearing by God's name. So again, this passage can't be saying to us that we can never take an oath. There are certain times and occasions when taking vows and swearing oaths are wholly appropriate in order to affirm a person's commitment to truth and integrity and fidelity under God. Okay, when we swear vows in our marriages, when we take oaths, when we do child dedications here at church, right? Parents take a vow under God. We as a church take a vow under God to support those parents, right? When we practice uh, things like ordination, when I was ordained into ministry, right? I vowed before my church and all those witnesses that I would fulfill my responsibilities as a minister of the gospel, right? We take oaths in court settings, right? We swear oaths when we're on juries or when we're giving testimony. These are wholly appropriate, all right? But with this understanding in place, we ask the question, what exactly is Jesus calling us to here this morning? Friends, understand this. Jesus is bringing us back to the heart of God's law. What was the heart of God's law? What was God's intention for us? Okay, Jesus is revealing that God's will for us as Jesus people is that he expects us to live by certain standards. And when it comes to matters of truth and integrity, the standard is that we are to be people whose lives are to be characterized by truth. That shouldn't be in question for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And so here in our passage, Jesus is saying, number one, don't swear frivolously 
okay? Be a people who are simply trusted because your yes means yes and your no means no. And number two, Jesus is saying, don't play games with the truth by thinking that some lies mean less to God than others. Okay, this is what Jesus is getting at here when he talks about swearing by heaven or swearing by earth or swearing by Jerusalem or swearing by your head. Look at what God's word says about these things. Isaiah 66, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? He goes on in scripture, passages like Psalm 48. Psalm 48, 1 through 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion. In the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. We see, for example, passages like Luke 12, 7. Why, why do you worry? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered, God says. Friends, why do these verses matter? These verses matter because Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here in verses 34 to 37, look, you think you can get away with dishonesty just because you don't swear by God's name. But friends, it's all God's. Heaven is God's and earth is God's and Jerusalem is God's and your head is God's. It all belongs to him. And so when you swear by any of it, you're swearing by the God who owns and controls all of it, all right? And Jesus says the point of all this is God expects honesty from us no matter what, all right? Jesus says don't swear by any of these things because in all of these instances, you're still swearing by the God who's sovereign over all of it. Jesus says let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Anything other than that comes from evil. In other words, from your sinful, rebellious hearts. Jesus is going to say later in the Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he's going to say the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Friends, why do we tell lies? We tell lies because we're sinful people. When we lie, when we deceive, when we, when we misstate things, when we exaggerate, when we tell white lies, when we omit truth from others, all we're doing is revealing the sin in our hearts. That we're not people who are led by integrity and truth and honesty. We're revealing that we have set ourselves up on the throne of our hearts and not Jesus. Okay, this is serious business to the Lord, friends. Dishonest speech is simply a symptom of a greater problem, a heart problem. And make no mistake, dishonesty unchecked is a problem with eternal consequences. Friends, are you struggling with lying? Are you a habitual liar? Okay, if you're here today and you struggle with lying and that's a habitual problem, that reveals that there is something seriously wrong in your heart today. And it might be that you truly haven't repented of your sin and put Jesus on the throne of your heart. You might not truly be a follower of Jesus this morning if lying is a habitual practice in your life. And here's why it's so serious. Revelation 21, 7 and 8 tells us this. That on the day of judgment, 
The one who conquers will have this heritage. Those who are saved will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Friends, liars end up separated from God for eternity. This is a serious, serious issue to God because God himself is truth. God is righteousness. God is integrity. God in his holiness takes honesty very, very seriously. And so again, we need to check our hearts. Now what's the hope for somebody who struggles with dishonesty? Friends, the hope as we've seen time and again through our series in the Sermon on the Mount, the hope is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw last week, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We see in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We see the prophet Ezekiel tell us what will take place when the Messiah comes and when we put our hope and trust in the Messiah. I will give you a new heart, God says, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Friends, if you're a habitual liar here this morning, somebody who struggles with deception and dishonesty, you need to check your heart. And it may be that you need to put Jesus first as Lord over your life. You need to repent of your sin. You need to confess the sin of dishonesty to Jesus. You need to receive the gift of the gospel, the shed blood of Jesus that covers your sinfulness and allows you to be reconciled to your creator God. You need to put your trust in Jesus. And then you need to allow his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come in and do his spiritual surgery on your heart and to turn you into a person, something you can't do on your own, you need to let the Holy Spirit do this by humbling yourself before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, we saw. Blessed are those who mourn, right? Those who humble themselves before God and say, Jesus, I need you, and it's your spirit that will empower me to stop lying and to become a person of honesty and integrity. Allow him to do his spiritual heart surgery in your life, and God will do his work of transformation. Friends, if honesty and integrity are issues that you struggle with in life, I implore you this morning, turn to Jesus. Confess those sins, rest in his amazing grace, and let him begin to do his supernatural work of transformation in your life. Our world needs people of integrity more than ever. Our world needs Jesus' people. As Jesus said earlier in the Great, uh, this great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's God's desire for us as Jesus' people. Let's be people whose yes means yes, and whose no means no, people who are known for our honesty.
Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much this morning for the opportunity to study your word together, to be encouraged by your truth, maybe even be uh, ch chastened by your truth this morning. Lord, we, we, we come to this issue of honesty and deception and integrity, your will for us in these areas. And once again, Lord, we just recognize how badly we need you. You are our hope. The gospel is our hope. The Holy Spirit's transforming power in our lives is our hope. And so Jesus, help us to humble ourselves before you. If there's anybody here this morning who struggles with dishonesty, Lord, I just pray that they would confess those sins to you that they would ask for your forgiveness, that they would ask for your supernatural empowerment to walk in truth, to be a person of truth, to humble themselves before you and allow your spirit to do his work in their lives. God, I pray that you would continue to mold us and shape us, conform us more and more into your likeness so that we can show the world a better way, the way of integrity. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.